Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, uh, we have a very crowded couch today because I am putting Biden and Putin and the Ukraine-Russia war all on my couch and trying to, in one hour, trying to tackle all of them. Um, I have been doing... um, studies of uh, Biden and Putin and um, have came, come up with, uh, first of all, an open letter to President Biden um, that I will tell you about. And I have also, um, and this was published in American Greatness, but really I've been talking about this, um, not yet, not sending him an open letter before, but talking about this issue um, since, since the um, election. In any case, that, that's in American Greatness. And then coming up soon in American Thinker is, a, um, is an essay that I wrote called Putting Putin on My Couch. You get the, <laughs> there's a theme going here, right? All right. So, but before we start all of that, um, I want to, you know, it's always, this is re- these are really tense times. I don't have to tell you that. Um, you know, some people are dealing it with, by being in denial, but um, other people are getting extremely anxious and so on. And, um, you know, needless to say, the, the, I mean, when, when two countries, or more than two now, but when <laughs> the two main countries, uh, America and Russia, have nuclear weapons, obviously any uh, scuffle becomes a lot more serious. So that's what we have here. So I'm going to give you a little bit of gallows humor to decrease your tension to start off with. Uncle Zelensky wants you. You know, like Uncle Sam wants you. Well, literally, Uncle Zelensky wants you. Vladimir Zelensky um, has put out a call. This is really serious. I'm going to give you uh, the website, in fact, if you want to sign up for it. But he has put out the call um, because, of course, Russia has a much bigger army and so on and, and, and weapons and, and, of course, um, you know, more people, um, you know, if you, it's, it's, it's like, um, it's like David versus Goliath, but, but the Ukraine has been doing, Ukraine has more heart and more bravery. Um, they have their, they have more in it to preserve their country and they are doing an incredible job, not just the soldiers and the civilians and so on, but even the people in the tunnels, in the bunkers, uh, little girls singing, a song from Frozen, Let It Go, all kinds of, there are all kinds of human interest stories of people being so brave um, in this, with the Russian troops being right outside their borders and going into their, going into Ukraine. So, um, in order to try to make this a little more fair or have a little more power uh, for Ukraine, Uncle Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky, um, has opened applications to join what he's calling an international legion to help the U- Ukrainians fight the Russians. And through this website that I'm going to give you the uh, name of, they're accepting almost everyone except Russians. Uh, many Americans have been looking for ways to help Ukrainians, many people in other countries as well. So some may indeed decide to join. Now, this is a noble thought, but people have to realize that it is not going somewhere to play paintball. It's a real war. So I have, um, I'm going to tell you a list that I have created of seven types, seven types of people most likely to apply for the wrong reasons. These are people who are bored, tired of being cooped up because of COVID-19, or fed up with watching Ukrainians die and want to do more than send money, depressed and looking for suicide by Russian, like we have suicide by cop, restless and looking for adventure, filled with anger 
and looking for some place where it's socially acceptable to express it, bullied as a child and now want to prove how tough they are, or guilty that they never fought in the American military. Now, I just want to go back. The, um, you know, being fed up with watching Ukrainians die and wanting to do more than send money is, um, you know, obviously that's a very noble idea. But you have to, um, you know, that can't just be a fantasy. It has to be based in reality. So here are seven ways to decide if this is right for you, if you should uh, sign up. So ask yourself if you are not one of the types of people most likely to apply for the wrong reasons that I just read, or are physically, not or, and are physically strong enough to withstand battle conditions, know how to shoot a gun, have experience on other weapons, or can learn quickly, understand that you're not going there to play paintball or star in a war movie, are willing to die for democracy, the Ukrainian people, your ancestors, or another noble reason, can be away from your regular life for an indefinite period of time, and last but not least, have asked your loved ones how they feel about you going, and they support you. So, if this is something that you would like to do, you can go to the website fightforua.org. Fight for, the the word for, um, the letters U, the letter A, dot org. And um, when you go to this website, it says, uh, Russian invaded Ukraine, join volunteer troops to fight for Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine calls on foreign citizens to join its fight for peace and democracy in Europe. And it goes into a whole explanation. And um, so it says, this, this, it says, join the International Legion of Defense of Ukraine. If your citizenship is other than Ukrainian, but you are standing with Ukraine against the Russian invasion, if you want actively if you want to actively participate in fighting for European freedom and democracy, and if you have combat experience or want to gain it, standing with brave Ukrainian defenders, now is the time to act. (laughs) And it gives all kinds of, um, it gives seven steps and so on. And the first step is to apply to the embassy of Ukraine in your country with the intention to join the International Legion so um, then at the bottom of all this, it gives the, um, in, in, in pretty much, in most countries, uh, including America, it gi- including many cities in America, it gives, um, it gives um, the specific place to go if you, to find the Ukrainian embassy in that country. All right, that's enough of that. So, again, it's fightforua.org. All right. Now let's get to Biden. Now, I know some of you, um, this, this is not meant to be, to be political. I mean, this is not meant to be political. I'm talking about Biden, right? Um, uh, what I mean is what I'm going to, I'm going to read the letter, the open letter to dear President Biden. And I have been speaking about this, as I mentioned, since the election. Now, people could have said then, and I'm sure some did, uh, that I was only saying this about Biden because I was trying to get Trump elected. Now, if you've been listening to um, my show any any number of times, you know that I did vote for Trump, and I certainly um, would have preferred him. Biden, but that was not why I was doing it. I was trying to warn people uh, about what could happen if Biden got elected because of his, what I called, and I'm still calling, encroaching dementia. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, well, you never examined Biden. How can you say that he has any kind of dementia, encroaching or otherwise? Um... It's because I work as a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness. And in many cases, I have had to examine someone to decide whether or not they are competent, to evaluate whether they are competent. Um, In 
some kind of a legal case. So typically it would be children or grandchildren who are fighting over their parents' or grandparents' will. And um, one person, one child or a grandchild wants to prove that the that their parent or grandparent wasn't competent at the time that they signed their latest will. And so they wanted to go back to the way the will was before, just as an example. So, um, and of course, as a psychiatrist, I have treated patients with dementia. So I do know the signs. <laughs> and, um, and the signs were visible before the election, during the campaign. Why do you think he was in the basement? They were trying to protect um, him trying to not have it be obvious or more obvious that um, that he had this problem. And so they kept him in the basement. We elected him. Of course, most of the people who elected Biden weren't really voting for him. They were voting against Trump. They would have voted for a cockroach if, um, if that was the other alternative. Um, but, you know, okay, so he sort of got elected. We won't go there. Um, but, and, and so one could have only hoped that he would not get into any trouble, that the four years could go by and maybe there wouldn't be anything major happening and um, maybe he would just make a mess of America, but there wouldn't be any foreign problems. Well, of course, as we have seen, uh, the mess that he made in Afghanistan, which has given rise to Putin, if he hadn't made, if he hadn't surrendered to the Taliban after 20 years of fighting, um, and shown our weakness, shown his weakness, and shown thereby America's weakness, we wouldn't. Putin wouldn't have invaded Ukraine at this time. He didn't invade Ukraine during the years, the four years that Trump was president. They had, they had a, a they understood each other. Um. So anyhow, so he, now he has invaded Ukraine, and there are other world leaders just ready to pounce uh, because of what they have perceived, rightly so, as Biden having, um, having cognitive issues, shall we say. Um, and there, I mean, not to say that Biden is only is making these decisions by himself. Quite frankly, I believe that Obama is the one making the, the decisions. Uh, making and he has um, nefarious reasons for doing so, but it's very easy to get Biden to do what what Obama uh, and others in that little group want because Biden doesn't really have the cognitive ability, ability to withstand them or to do to stand on their own on his own. All right, so here's the letter that I wrote, an open letter, dear President Biden. You are undoubtedly feeling the walls closing in now that Putin is making more serious demands and inching his way into Ukraine while claiming he isn't. You're wondering if this is too much for your brain to handle. I know you care about America and want to do the right thing. I love America, too, so I want to help you. As a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness, with over 20 years of experience in hundreds of civil and criminal cases, I have done countless cognitive assessments to determine a person's competency, and I am offering my services to you. I know that Dr. Ronnie Jackson has already written to you, asking that you take such a test. I am writing to you now to explain why you need to take such a test, and even to offer to administer it to you myself. You may already know that I have been speaking about your, quote, encroaching dementia, unquote, since before the election, trying to warn people about your not being able to handle the job, especially on the world stage. At that point, I could have been accused of just saying this to get Trump elected, and I will not hide that I am a Trump supporter. But what I was most concerned about was that your encroaching dementia, which has sadly continued encroaching, would endanger America. And indeed, it has. Let me explain what I have observed as symptoms of your encroaching dementia. Your memory lapses have become more frequent and more serious, such as forgetting Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's name and calling him, quote, the guy who runs that outfit over there, unquote. When you realize you forget something, you often try to hide it by making something up or distracting your audience. This is called confabulation. Your sentences have become word salad, where words are just tossed around 
and don't make any sense anymore. You're emotionally volatile and make inappropriate comments, lashing out at people defensively when you don't know how to respond to them, such as when you were caught on a hot mic calling a Fox News reporter, quote, a stupid son of a bitch, unquote. After you finish your speeches, you look around and sometimes even mutter under your breath, where am I? This is disorientation, but the worst cognitive deficiency that you have is poor abstract thinking. This is where you need to juggle complex concepts and analyze them to solve problems. And your debacle in Afghanistan has made this deficiency glaringly apparent. Your ill-planned surrender in Afghanistan made America look weak and emboldened world leaders to believe that this is the moment to take what they want. Putin is just the first. Iran is building up their nuclear arsenal. North Korea has been testing nuclear missiles. China will make a move after the Olympics are done. And the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS are comfortably plotting attacks now that they don't have to worry about American troops getting in their way. So things are going to get more complicated for you, and analytic thinking is one of your weak spots. Of course, I understand that you don't want to risk looking foolish or failing the test, and you like being president and living in the White House. But Putin isn't going to come down to the basement to talk to you, and you can't get away with calling them gaffes anymore. Some have even called it elder abuse in reference to the people behind you who are just propping you up to keep you as president so that they can get their agendas passed. As a woman, I'm especially shocked that your wife, Dr. Jill Biden, hasn't asked you to resign for the good of the country, to stop you from continuing to make a fool of yourself, and most importantly, to take you to a neurologist to do a workup for dementia. Dementia isn't curable but there are medications and treatments for it. And the sooner one gets started on them, the better the prognosis. Since I have not examined you, I cannot say where these cognitive deficiencies come from. Alzheimer's is the most common dementia, but you have already had vascular problems, including your two brain aneurysms, your brain bleed, and your ongoing atrial fibrillation, which can cause transient ischemic attacks that could explain some of your problems. However, I recommend that you go to a neurologist to get a full workup to find out the root of your problems. The first step is the cognitive test. Then comes the neurologist. Then comes being on your way to a better tomorrow for us, for us all. Ask yourself, what would Bo say? Well, let's take a break at this point. When we come back, i uh, uh, put Putin on my couch and talk to you more about what's going on in the war. Stay tuned. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Um, We are having a lot of people on my couch today, or a lot of issues and things, Biden and Putin and the Ukraine-Russia war on my couch. So we have uh, discussed Biden already, and now let's talk about Putin. Putin is a very complex man, um, and he, a lot, people are, uh, you may have heard in the news, people are um, saying, you know, are, are people who thought they knew how to read him are saying that he's changed. They're saying something is off, he's changed, he's unhinged, he's disconnected from reality. In fact, some people are calling him a madman. And he does look different than he used to. He has a bloated appearance, pale skin. Uh, He talks in a rambling manner with apocalyptic speeches. And, of course, he made his most chilling threat, which is, quote, consequences greater than any you have faced in history. So, um, in order to understand somebody, um, you need to look at their childhood. Now, with Biden, I wasn't getting into Biden's personality. I was talking about his encroaching dementia. That's different. But with Putin, I'm going to be talking to you now about his personality. And... um, So one needs to start in childhood in order to figure that out. Um, Putin has had a very uh, difficult childhood, various traumas, and um, everything that I'm going to talk to you about now is a, or everything that he has become, I should say, now, Um, is a reflection of his having made a promise to himself as a child never to be vulnerable again because there were many things in his childhood that made him feel vulnerable. And when he was a child or as he was growing up, um, he kept saying to himself, this is not going to happen to me again. Um, I'm I'm not going to let this happen to me again. So, he was born on October 7th, 1952, in war-torn Leningrad. His father fought in the war, in World War II, of course, and he was left with a limp. Now, what did this do? How did this affect um, Putin, Um, seeing his father, you know, constantly walking around with a limp? Well, it might well have reminded his son... Uh, of bravery, his father's bravery of being in the war, but it also would have reminded him or made him think of his father's fragility. His mother, uh, you know, lots of people starved in um, in Leningrad during those days, during the war and post-war, and his mother once fainted from hunger. So the townspeople who thought she was dead laid her out with the corpses. Fortunately, she woke up. <laughs> so, um, so these were physical ways that their, his parents were affected, but World War II also left psychological scars on his parents. And this contributed to teaching Putin, little Vladimir, <laughs> that um, the world is a dangerous place. So as he was growing up in in this war-torn city, um, you know, signs of the war all around him, poverty, starvation, all of that, um, it made, and his parents, you know, um, having been scarred physically and and psychologically, all of this made him, taught him that the world is a dangerous place. Now, um, I'm going to say, let's say Vladimir, that way you can sort of, it's a little easier to sort of, see how these things are affecting him when you think of him as a little boy. Um, He was his parents' third son. He was born after his two older brothers had already died, 
And so his parents thought of him as a miracle baby. Um, so this made his parents look towards him as a, both, you know, a miracle baby, and they then tried to spoil him. Of course, they were very poor, um, but they tried to spoil him to the best, best way that they could. But that, so that's good fortune. The misfortune was that he had all the weight of all his parents' expectations thrust upon him. Uh, so he had both a sense of entitlement from how they treated him and then um, the fact that in this war and post-war um, situation, uh, it was difficult for his parents to show warmth and love to him. Now, there is a photo of Vladimir, age five. He's sitting on his mother's lap, and this photo really says it all in terms of how he was affected as a child and why he felt vulnerable and why he felt that the world, including his parents, um, were a dangerous place. So he's sitting on his mother's lap. She has her arm, one arm, stiffly around him, and he is sitting there with his arms and legs crossed as if he's trying to protect himself. And his eyes are looking up at the camera in a fearful and distrusting way. It's like he's, he's afraid of the world. He's afraid. Um, and in fact, if you look at photos of Vladimir or Putin, you know, various ages, in other words, um, from childhood on, especially in childhood, he's pouting, he's moody, and his eyes seem to hold unspeakable secrets. So with this, in order to um, sort of as a psychological defense to his fears of vulnerability, he became obsessed with presenting an intimidating image. Now, when he was a teen, he did this with um, trendy leather jackets, you know, in photos I'm talking about. And then when he became an adult, he um, had photos taken of him in macho poses like fishing and hunting and riding horses bare-chested. Now, his childhood home was very poor. It was, a, it was a, an apartment building, sort of a dilapidated apartment building. It was a communal home. In other words, he shared things with, with his neighbors. Um, there was no hot water, no bathtub. <coughs> it was literally cold. And it didn't have any other basic amen amenities. His parents worked at, in factories and at unskilled jobs around the clock. So they left him to take care of himself. He, he became a street kid. He was small for his age, and he was a bit odd, so he was bullied. And the way that he um, dealt with that was that he learned martial arts, and he got to be really good in martial arts. And that's how he was able to fight back. Now, he has um, said of himself... The street taught me a rule. If a fight is inevitable, you have to throw the first punch. Now, this is what he learned as a kid, right? The street taught me a rule. So he's talking about when he was a street kid, a little street kid. And apparently, you know, he still remembers this. And this is what he did um, with Ukraine. He had paranoid projections about Ukraine, and so he thought a fight is inevitable because that's because of his paranoid projections, not because Ukraine was planning on invading Russia. But in any case, he felt a fight was inevitable, so he threw the first punch. He invaded Ukraine. See, this is how and this is why you need to look at someone's childhood to understand um, when you're trying to understand them as an adult. Now, Putin's first war, when he was a little boy, was against the rats that infested his dreary home and dreary apartment building. And he has written about how he and the other kids in the building or in the neighborhood used to chase rats with sticks as fun. They didn't have video games back then. And, um, and, and Vladimir once drove a particularly huge rat into a corner. So he was all excited. He was thrilled. He thought, oh, I'm going to get this rat. It was his prey to kill. Uh, and as he was relishing all this, this idea, you know, his victory, uh, the rat suddenly jumped up and threw itself at him. And, of course, he was terrified. 
and he barely managed to slam the door, the door on the rat's nose. And he said of this, of this experience that he, quote, got a quick and lasting lesson in the meaning of the word cornered. Now, Putin sees rats on all sides of him today. So he, um, he, you know, number one, he doesn't want to, um, you know, he's careful of sort of jumping to conclusions that he has won. And, and obviously at this point, um, he has not won. In fact, he's rather surprised at how, at the pluck of the Ukrainians. But also, um, he doesn't want to be cornered. He has learned from the rat, don't get yourself cornered. And, you know, so it's, it's really very dangerous, very difficult for the U.S., NATO, and so on to deal with him because, like, um, sanctions and so on. I'm not saying that one shouldn't do sanctions. I'm just explaining what impact this is having. Um, uh, that, so, you know, the, the, the risk, whatever you do, even if you, even if, um, like, like apparently, uh, America hasn't sent soldiers into Ukraine, uh, that's why, that's why you need to go. That's why I gave you the, um, the website. But anyhow, um, apparently, um, you know, so it's really makes, it really makes it difficult to, to work to try and negotiate with Putin at this particular time because um, of, of, of experiences from his childhood and places where he's sensitive, in other words. So, okay, so with, his, with signs of death and destruction all around him, Putin developed a paranoid personality disorder. You know, personality disorders are formed in childhood, depending upon what kinds of traumas that you have. So when he felt attacked all around and um, seeing, you know, the feeling vulnerable and seeing, you know, what could happen because of all these signs of death and destruction, he developed a paranoid personality disorder. Uh, And the pandemic made it worse. He was already a germaphobe. But the pandemic made it worse because it caused him to withdraw. And he was alone um, with his own memories, his thoughts, his fears. And these things, this, this aloneness, this um, isolation that he chose to, um, to have, may exa- exacerbated his underlying paranoid personality disorder. So... Um, the paranoia grew from the fear of coronavirus attacking him to the fear of rogue parts of the USSR attacking him. Now, this is, of course, unconsciously. So now, another part of his personality is the hubris syndrome. He has manipulated the rules in Russia. that that There were rules um, saying that a president could only be in office for so long and so on. But he manipulated the rules by being prime minister and going back to being president and and so on. So he has been able to stay in power for a very long time. And uh, the power has gone to his head. In other words, it's like believing his own PR. And so he's become so confident of his own judgment and dismissive of, of other people's advice. And this has led him to making reckless and rash decisions. Um, on top of this, and perhaps, you know, particularly strongly, um, he is confronting his own mortality. You know, COVID made all of us confront our own mortality. We, we always, you know, it's always there. We're always kind of um, thinking about death, but never so, never so... Um, strongly as when we kept seeing the statistics every day in the media of how many people died from COVID and so on. So he is now confronting his own mortality, one, because of COVID, but also because he's 69, which is one year before a dreaded milestone birthday. And 69 is two years less than the life expectancy of a Russian male. So he feels that the clock is ticking ever louder for him to leave his mark on the world. And his, his, his dream, excuse me, his dream is to put the USSR back together. 
So with the clock ticking louder, it seems like his dream is slipping away. Now, uh, I diagnose him as having a paranoid personality disorder, but uh, I say that we can't rule out the possibility that it's even more serious than this, that it could be or could have developed into a paranoid psychosis, in other words, where he's out of touch with reality. Now, so far, he has managed to hide uh, clear psychotic symptoms, but hopefully he's not having command hallucinations, like one telling him, Vladimir, push the button, or we are all doomed. Now, he has medical problems as well. At least there has been speculation about medical problems. There has been no official word that he ever had COVID, um, but there is speculation that he could have and that this could be contributing to his brain, his mental condition, uh, brain fog, confusion, delirium, agitation, and so on. There have also for years been rumors of his having cancer like spinal cord cancer or pancreatic cancer. And um, the, all of these things, you know, would, would make him feel his mortality all the more, make him feel like the clock is ticking all the more. There's also been rumors about his having spark- Parkinson's. Um, he has what's called a gunslinger's gait, an awkward gait. And so people have speculated about that. Now, what do you get when you cross a paranoid Putin with a demented Biden? Nuclear war? Well, we can hope certainly not. Um, Certainly with Biden, we could hope that Congress would intervene um, before he would push the button. But in Russia, it doesn't seem like there is anybody who can make him lay down his nuclear weapons. Because in his mind, it's still him against the world, just like it was as a boy. Him against the rats, him against the school board, schoolyard bullies, um, him against, you know, the, the specter of World War II, and so on. So he has um, made it his, his, a promise to himself that he would never be that vulnerable again. And when we come back, <laughs> I will tell you how this has played out. So stay tuned. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about Biden and Putin and Ukraine-Russia war on my couch. So we've talked about Biden, we've talked about, well, I'm almost finished talking about Putin. I was uh, up to the last part about what what this means for us today. Um, 
you know, what do you get when you cross a paranoid Putin with a demented Biden? And um, Putin um, has made this promise to himself, as I said at the beginning, never to be as vulnerable as he was as a child again. So um, he, ever since he um, was left to wander his impoverished, rat-infested neighborhood, threatened by schoolyard bullies, he made this promise, never again. So he made good on his promise in terms of his poverty. Do you know Putin's palace has gold-plated toilet seats? For example, not to mention all of the other uh, houses and um, things that he has and money that he has. Um, and in terms of, uh, you know, martial arts for schoolyard bullies, and now he has nuclear weapons for rogue countries, he has armed himself, you know, just like he did with the martial arts, he has now armed himself with nuclear weapons for rogue countries or any enemies, anybody he doesn't like. So... If people, um, if Biden or NATO or, you know, um, who people who he's seeing right now as his enemies make personal attacks on him or make threats or push him into a corner, um, it is only going to make Putin defensive and make him retaliate even stronger with, quote, consequences, possible consequences, greater than any we have faced in history. That is what he's threatening, and he's talking about nuclear war. Now, you know, um, he already, I mean, nuclear war, I, I don't, you know, don't want to, I don't want to make anybody more frightened than there you all, may already be, but um, just the fact that he has taken over the two main, um, there's actually a third building as well, um, nuclear plants in the Ukraine, it would take very little to um, start a nuclear war. I mean, in other words, he doesn't have to send missiles or, or any other kinds of things. He already <laughs> can very quickly um, just have the, the Russians who are in um, especially with the largest plant, uh, it, it could happen any minute. And that wouldn't just be over the radioactive fallout, wouldn't just be over Ukraine, that would go over all of Europe and, you know, lots of other countries in a radius. So, uh, and, and now, really, um, he, he, again, thinking about all of the things that I said about his facing his mortality and the clock ticking and all of that, and with the war in Ukraine not going the way he expected, in other words, he thought he was going to win. He, with all his, his um, weapons and the people, you know, his, his uh, military, um, he thought that it was going to be uh, very easy to, to just take over Ukraine. He didn't expect them to fight back the way they are. And so now he's, he is pushed into a corner um, because he doesn't want to lose face. It's really important to him ever since childhood to not lose face. And um, the only way out of it that I see is not that, you know, I'm not saying, again, from a psychiatrist's point of view, I'm not saying that I am the... Um, the world's biggest expert in war, per se, but looking at Putin's mind, I do feel confident in saying that we have to give him a way to save face. Um, obviously, we don't want him to continue killing people in Ukraine, or anywhere for that matter, but we have to give him a way to save face. We have to agree to, to something um, that, because as this, the war is escalating, and um, and he does not, you know, even if he doesn't get to have his wish, doesn't get to put the USSR back together, um, he certainly doesn't want to, to, to lose face because that makes him feel vulnerable again, just like he did as a child. Okay. So that's Putin in a nutshell, so to speak. All right. Um, I like Gallo's humor because really... Um, you know, it, it does act as a way of buffering uh, our scarier feelings. <clears throat> now, I mean, you know, if we're paralyzed by anxiety, that doesn't work either. 
Um, okay, so now let's talk about how to talk to kids about the war. Well, first of all, the biggest mistake that parents make, uh, and it's still happening, I mean, it really is kind of surprising me, but even to this day, at least in America, um, people... Uh, parents, not all parents have talked to their kids about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, <clears throat> which, you know, um, I mean, it is understandable in that, um, I mean, as you know, I've written the book, uh, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror, and um, pretty much all of that uh, can apply to what's going on now as well, because needless to say, <clears throat> the biggest act of terrorism of all time would be if Russia sets off uh, a nuclear war. So, and you can get that book, <laughs> not only on Amazon, but you can get an autographed copy from my website, terroristtherapist.com. All right, so... Um, so it is really, really important for parents, teachers, um, anybody who works with children or, or you know, is, uh, um, meets with children, has anything to do with children, coaches, things like that. Um, it is really important, although, of course, this is mostly the parents' job, but so I'll, I'll talk about parents. Um, I mean, I'll direct this primarily to parents, but, of course, anybody, because, because the thing is, that if, if parents don't talk to kids about it, just like with anything else, the kids may well ask their coach or their teacher, and parents may not like the answer that the coach or the teacher gives. If they have their own answer that they want to give, you know, they, they need to do it themselves and sooner rather than later. So the biggest mistake that parents make is thinking that they don't have to talk to their kids about it. They're thinking that, oh, well, this will pass. I mean, you know, I could see that maybe the first or second day, but it, it ain't passing. <laughs> it's going to be around for a while longer. <clears throat> this whole, this whole, uh, this whole war, this whole situation. So kids do know about what's going on. They don't understand all of it. They get a confusing idea from the media. Um, you know, of course, they watch television, they hear the radio, they look on the Internet. They're, they Mainly, they talk to their friends who also don't really understand what's going on. <clears throat> and, um, and so it's important that, you know, that as I, I'm saying, it's important that parents, if you haven't talked to your kids about it yet, today's the day. Um, also, you know, kids overhear their parents and teachers and other grown-ups. So, um, you know, you can't pretend that they don't. Now, there are four main reactions that kids have to hearing about this. Scared, sad, mad, and bad. And you need to get kids to express their feelings. You can do it very simply by giving them construction paper and um, crayons. Um, you can give them um, make puppets and do puppet play where, you know, one of you can be the Ukrainians, one of you can be uh, Russia, one of you can be America, you know, however, just the point of all this is to get the kids to act out their feelings, to express their feelings. Now, of course, the way that you talk to them about it depends very much upon their age and their psychological maturity. And you can start by um, asking them what questions they have for you. The main question the kids have is, um, am I going to die? Are you going to die? Are we going to be, you know, bombed? Um, are we going to be safe? Do they want to know that they're safe? And, um, you know, you can't lie and say nothing is going to happen, but you can say things like, oh, well, there are lots of heroes. You know, you can talk about Zelensky, what an amazing hero he is. Um, look up his story, look things up on, on the Internet talk about him, talk about how people in our government are, are you know, people are trying to, um, to t you know, talk about it, trying to come to a compromise, um, that kind of thing. You can talk about, again, depending upon the, their age and psychological maturity, you can talk about the oils, finally, we're, we're not going to, uh, we're banning Russian oil, finally. Um, but again, depending upon your politics, you can talk about it however you want, but you do need to talk about it. Um, you can talk about Putin as being a big bully on the playground. 
and how he's picking on kids like he picked on Ukraine because he thought that he was a weaker kid. And um, just like bullies on the playground, sometimes they're surprised when weaker kids <laughs> turn out to have friends who then fight the bully. And that's like what's happening here. You know, um, Ukraine is fighting. The weak kid, so to speak, is fighting. But also Ukraine's friends are fighting in their own way with these sanctions and, and banning oil and, and sending arms and, and so on. So explain it in, in uh, ways that they can can understand. Um, if you don't know the answers to questions that the kids are asking you, then this is a great way to um, look things up together. Uh, first of all, you should definitely show the child a map or preferably a globe if you have one and show where Ukraine and Russia are on the map or the globe, how far they are from America or whatever country you are in. Hopefully, uh, I know people are listening to this podcast or this show from all over the world. So however that fits for you. Um, then um, in terms of nuclear war, this is sort of a new wrinkle as far as what kids are going to be asking and worrying about. You can explain nuclear war, you know, they, they, they've heard. I heard them say on the television that there could be a nuclear war. What's a nuclear war? Are we all going to die? That's the kinds of things that kids are thinking. So you can explain nuclear war like rain. The fallout is like rain that can make you sick. And what you need to do, and it's probably not going to happen, you can say, we're all trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. But if it did, what you should do is to run into the nearest building and um, wash your skin and wash your clothes off. And we have to stay inside for at least 24 hours. Um, then, of course, there's also one of the best ways to fight fear is to do things, um, to action steps. So, for example, families can help Ukrainian charities, not just by sending money themselves, but by collecting money in your neighborhood or from friends and so on. You can, since you can't help the Ukrainian kids, you can help kids here, um, reading to kids or taking, you know, going, um, doing some charity or, or there are, there are, if you go Google um, ways to help Ukrainians, there are places that will take clothes, and, of course, save money, but other things as well. Books. Um, so you just need to, to Google that and look it up. Then you can also take another action step is to read history books and to read books about Ukraine, to read books about Russia, to, to um, read about um, heroes. And then um, if, in fact, it does seem more likely that nuclear war may be coming. We, we, will, we all need to uh, gather a supply kit, enough to enough water and enough food and other kinds of supplies for tw at least 24 hours. Um, and last but not least, certainly not least, perhaps the most important thing that we can do is to pray for world peace. Thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch today. And um, I hope you will think about all of these things and, um, and particularly to pray for world peace. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.